I will uh, declare open the, uh, or I'll call to order the Peace River Town Council regular meeting for Monday, April the 10th, 2017 to order. Um, Councilors should have a uh, copy of the, of the agenda in front of them. I understand that uh, Mr. Parker, that administration has a couple of additions and deletions. That, that is correct, Your Worship. We have uh, addition uh, 10 or 14.3 uh, and 14.5. 14.3 uh, or 14.4? 14.4. Like three and four. Whatever. It's the it being camera ones. Okay, so we have um, one for division two exception of disclosure at 16, disclosure harmful to the business interest of a third party and disclosure harm uh, business interest of a third party. Mm -hmm. mayor, one's from the CAO and one's from the deputy mayor. Okay, very good. And then deletion, we have uh, the request for decision for the municipal library board uh, bylaw. Uh, we're going to refer that to the 24th of April meeting. Okay. Any other uh, requests for additions or deletions? Hearing none, I'll take a motion to accept the agenda as amended. Thank you. All in favor of Councilor Benke's motion. <coughs> that takes us to the minutes of uh, March the 27th, 2017, regular council meeting. Are there any uh, clarifications required there? I had him in the blind spot. So I'll, I'll take, I'll take, is that what the motion you were going to make, Councilor Hughes? It, 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 it has a lot of resemblance to yours I was going to use. <coughs> Perhaps you weren't going to have them up for approval. But all in favor of Councilor Needham's motion to approve the minutes of March 27th, 2017. All in favor, everyone is. Uh, are there any public hearings, uh, uh, Mr. Parker? There are not, Your Worship. I understand we have three presentations. Uh, we have the Daycare Society. Uh, we'll um, make a presentation, and it's regarding some program funding, I understand. That is correct, Your Worship. Are you leading that, Ms. Stanks? I am. If you could please come forward. And just for the record, state your name and, uh, and provide us with what I understand is good news. Are you going to PowerPoint us as well? Or just... <laughs> no, I was just giving my heads up and showing the room. <laughs> good afternoon. I'm Jeanette Banks of the Peace Road Child Care Association. And I don't so much have a presentation just to uh, provide some info, answer any questions. Uh, and with me is Kaylee Stranahan, the Vice President, who is choosing not to come forward and see you guys face to face. So as I think everyone's heard, our daycare was one of 22 in the province that was chosen to participate in the provincial government's pilot program for $25 a day childcare. So what that means is we've received a pretty substantial grant that will allow us to offer $25 a day childcare to all of the children currently in care and 
allowing us to make spaces for we're hoping about 20 new spaces, 20 to 30 new spaces. You probably can't even do Europe on $25 a day anymore. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so that's the that's the big news. I know there's lots of questions, so we just want to give you guys the opportunity. Questions are coming through here. What they are, we haven't made a lot of decisions towards meeting tomorrow night to kind of finalize how that's going to look. What number of spaces we'll have for sure. What our fees will be exactly. I think Mr. Dean had a question when this news first came forward. Well, the well. The, He's been yeah. making a list all weekend. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I lost sleep over it, as a matter of fact. So the, the ever-famous wait list in the $25 or so is the goal to, or maybe I heard your answer already, you haven't gotten the other three yourself, but is the idea is to pick people off the wait list or you take people out of other, is it, what's the priority, I guess, or whether it's... So currently we, or prior to this, we didn't really have much of a wait list, you know, a few, if most of our rooms were, we had have seven of nine rooms full, and they're for the most part full, maybe one to two spots in any of them. So building bigger eliminated the wait list, and then along with everything else that's happened in the economy and the community, I imagine. Um, so now we're taking names to add to the wait list, and as we get the details and know exactly how many for each age group we're able to accommodate, then we'll fill them from that list. In that, well, great, thank you. I, I just uh, so how often does the GOA send you a check? Like, is it monthly or quarterly? Or? We got one deposit to our account last so Thursday. So we can we ask for our money back now that you're rich? Or? <laughs> we don't owe you any money. We're not rich. It's for the children. It's college. for the children. College. Yeah, I'm sorry. How silly of me. It's for the future of the community. Actually, that's a big. Oh, one of the things we've heard from a number of people already is people that are in part-time care. The parents say, oh, this is excellent news, now I can go back to work full-time, then I'll be able to afford full-time childcare. Um, the hope is that there'll be some people that go to school, get some sustainable uh, cost for those that are furthering, and hopefully that long-term means boosting the economy all around. It's gonna free up a few hundred bucks in my pocket, not to spend. <laughs> Just a couple of questions. So this would uh, be for all the age groups and all the rooms in, in the daycare? Yes, sort of. So what it's funding is the daycare program. So our out of school is a separate program. So they've only provided funding for the daycare program. So anyone school age or older. But what we're looking at is how we can make that move around within our operating budget to reduce fees for our out of school program as well so that it's Across. And my second question would be, does this apply to to all families or is there a... Uh, like no, all families. Everyone will No matter have, what your income? That's right. Okay. So the, um, those that are in lower income and are currently getting subsidy will continue to be able to get the same amount of subsidy. subsidy. So for example, if you're getting full subsidy for full-time childcare, you get $540 a month. Our new fees will be about 500 a month, so essentially those people will be getting free childcare, or they're not paying over pocket anything. So just to help me understand, so um, say someone 
someone has a child and uh, takes them to daycare. Right now, it would cost about 80 something. How much a day? Um, about 40, 45. So they will now pay, instead of 40, 45, they're paying $25. So how does the other part that works in from? Yeah. <laughs> so that's what the grant from the provincial government covers is they've provided funding to cover that shortfall in fees um, to hire staff to create those new spaces, supplies and materials to create those new spaces, and then training because they're looking at expanding the curriculum for early child care as well. So it's some training dollars for our current staff. But not everybody gets the $25. Is it $25? across the board so mm -hmm. there's no income test nope and it's first for basically first come first serve to the uh the board. That's right. so, so in a sense is the person that had lower income all that was already kind of subsidized they're not really too much further ahead with this it's the ones who were paying basically the full essentially they'll, uh, they'll be the same because how it is now if your fees are 850 which would be about an average fee mm -hmm. uh, if you were getting full subsidy you're getting 540 so you'd have to make up that 310 a month now so it's the 840 people who weren't getting the subsidy who are yeah. really this is I, really good for i think it is for everybody everyone will be yeah. saving uh, like subsidized or not it'll be about three to four hundred dollars a month lesser so at this time we're approved for they've only approved everyone for one year we have one year contracts and with the potential of it being a three-year program and they'll be looking at that as it's ongoing either expanding the service to continue the program for more centers or potentially cutting some if they don't work we are under the understanding that assuming this works and we report properly and we're doing as we're supposed to that the funding should continue for the three years. So, so how many spots do you actually have in particular, never mind filled or unfilled? How many altogether can you accommodate? Daycare, uh, just daycare. Not out of school. Well, just maybe start daycare and then dump another. Um, we have about 70 daycare spots right now and about 30 out of school. And we'll be going to about another 20 to 30 daycare. Oh, another 20 to 30. So how do you manage, so how, how are you speaking on another 20 to 30 spots? So we have two rooms that we haven't filled yet. Okay, so you've got 70 kids in daycare yeah. right now. You've got spots for another 20 to 30 more. Okay, right, yeah. okay. okay. And so this started, you already have a check, so it's the government budget year kind of thing? Yeah, it's supposed to run the government budget year, but because they have didn't announce till April, they've given us till May 1st to get everything lined up and organized. So they'll start And the funding commitment is just for the, the current fiscal year, or is it for the for next fiscal year as well? Or? It's for the current fiscal year so yeah how many staff would you anticipate perhaps adding or working we think we'll need five more we hmm. hiring five good deal too mm -hmm. 
I'm sure that the uh, print media will want to talk to you right after this. I, I'm sure that the radio media, if they were here, they'd want to talk to you, but they're probably, uh, that individual might be uh, waiting, it might be at the hospital uh, uh, cheering on the arrival of his second child, another customer for him. Perfect. <laughs> so, uh, I'm sure that uh, probably uh, uh, um, Autumn, uh, we should, uh, let the radio know about that and uh, you don't mind them giving us giving them your uh, no not at all phone number and all of that nope that's fine and then once we after tomorrow night we should have all the details figured out and i can email chris and just give them that yeah. to find out she did because yeah, uh it's definitely our demographic in this town is uh, uh primarily uh young adults so and with raising families so Good. So our investment in the daycare center is paying off. That's right. <laughs> Good show. So you can see, you can look at this as a return on our advice. Mm -hmm. right. That's a pretty good return, isn't it? I'm sorry? It's a pretty good return. Absolutely. <laughs> it attracts more people to the community, for sure. Great. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. And if there's any questions that come up after, just feel free to send them Thank you. Have a good night. Thanks for all your efforts. <laughs> and uh, we have uh, number two. We have RCMP. Uh, uh, this will be Jesse Onassis and Corporal Gordon Hughes. No, that looks like David Brown. Gordon Hughes has a lot more tattoos. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah. We're really here to talk about uh, our community enforcement priorities, I understand. Yes. So again, the government year is April to April, so, uh, or sorry, end of March to April. So what we always do is we, we commit to an annual performance plan. Um, so a lot of that is, I think Brent's been doing the heavy lifting, so he's done some consultation um, with the council. So again, we want to increase it on. I guess we want to increase um, um, the number of uh, activities we're taking place. I think recently we've been in the media for some of the heavy drug enforcement and some of the active criminals and some of the gang related crime that have been taking place. It, it's, it's not alone to Peace River, it's connected to the other communities in the area. So um, we have some projects upcoming this year to try and address that. Um, we're trying to bring in some provincial resources with that. Our crime reduction initiatives. Um, we're, uh, we're looking at an increase in, in some of the public spaces. We want to try and get guys on uh, out foot patrol, especially in the downtown core. Uh, we want to get guys on bike patrol. We want to get on the river again. Um, uh, also for road safety, we're also looking at uh, increasing the number of repair driving check stops. We're hoping that we can involve the town CPO in some of these initiatives. Um, we're also looking to do some more education programs on, on driving, drinking, drug awareness. Um, and uh, something that may affect us that's coming into play this year, I don't know if anybody's been following Alberta's really been pushing the helmet law for ATVs. Um, we do have, we do have, just the nature of Peace River, the hills, everything else, ATVs are always, ATVs, dirt bikes, those sort of things, are always a bit of a challenge for us in how to enforce. Um, the whole goal about it 
need to be enforcement. It's, it's enforced very lightly with the mind that we've always looked at it from a safety standpoint. Right? If they're not causing a nuisance and they're being responsible, then you know, we, we really haven't come down hard on it. I know there's been discussion in the past with um, proposed ATV bylaws, and I'm not asking the council to revisit that, but we do have every year some issues with ATV riders in green spaces, sometimes 12th of Davis, those sort of places. Um, that ATV helmet law may give us, you know, an extra tool to maybe try and address that with some of these riders. Well, um, actually, that we they, we do have on the books that the bylaw says no off-road vehicles should be in the ground boundary. Yeah. Okay. So are you going to enforce that one then? We will. We will if not. <laughs> the biggest problem we have with them sometimes is uh, we have brought ETVs into Peace River, but we haven't maybe necessarily used them in an enforcement capacity because it's a training. It was, it was like the boat operator. When Brent came here, he was a boat instructor, so he had the leverage to get people on the boat course, and then he had, you know, he had the contacts to get Peace River a jet boat, which was great. You know, now we'd like to be able to possibly look at getting ATVs. We can borrow them, right? But again, now you can't just throw somebody on an ATV. And just the nature of Peace River, um, members are here for three to five years, then we get the new guys out of the factory, so then we have to get them all up to speed and get them trained. So that's probably our biggest challenge, but we'd like to see a few more ATV patrols if possible, uh, if we can get the people trained to do it. So if we can talk a bit of, we did talk a bit about, uh, um, council uh, priorities in terms of uh, police enforcement. So we just went around the table and I think we'll, we'll do that again. Uh, people had, I think there's a common theme there, but uh, we'll let each councillor uh, speak to what their enforcement priorities are and uh, then you can distill that as you see fit. And uh, one question though, before we uh, get into that, so there, there was, as we went around the table, there was some discussion about uh, traffic enforcement and there was a, there seems to be some anecdotal information I'm just wondering if you can support it or, uh, or um, be able to uh, argue against it. So since we, as you know, we uh, dropped the photo radar enforcement and there are some counselors feeling that we, uh, that there's been an uptick in the speeding in around town. Would you concur with that, or uh, that doesn't jive with your, your judgment? Overall, the economy, we've noticed a decrease. Okay. Everything from accidents to traffic complaints coming into the office. Um, and you're, you're attributing that more to the economy than? More the economy, more the economy. Um, uh, was Florida Raider, did it have its place in certain zones? 100% it did, you know. Um, but um, we're also keenly aware that there's a gap right now, and uh, Staff Sergeant Martin makes it very clear that he wants the members out doing enforcement when they can. Um, things maybe took a bit of a, traffic took a little bit of a backseat here for the last couple months because we had some longer term projects that we had to deal with that, as you all know, was in the media. And uh, now as we get back on track and we get younger guys, we get greater. We, again, it, it falls back to, for example, now we're just having radar training again, so we have a bunch of new members, so now we're gonna get them on that radar training. It's not to say it's just speed enforcement, um, but 
but there is quite a bit of enforcement going on between the sheriffs um, uh, and, the, and uh, the municipal members, but we do want to look at um, a, a stronger presence and maybe working again with CTO Wicks to do some of those joint traffic initiatives. But I can't really comment whether or not I've seen more speeders, but we're, we're seeing that reflected in the office. I don't, we just don't have those numbers. We can gather them if that's something the council would want. Oh, we'll go around the table and we'll see if the councilors want that for the staff. Councilor uh, Deputy Mayor Manzer, why don't you give your priorities and your rationale for them? Um, well, I, I would agree with the driving. I am along River Road quite a bit, and to me, the traffic has speeded up along River Road. Um, I was pleased to see an officer um, sometime during the night stop a vehicle in front of my house. Uh, lights were flashing, so I noticed, and I don't know what they were stopped for, but it was good to see. Um, that was the middle of the night, and the traffic I'm talking about seems to happen, well, 8 o'clock onwards, I guess, a little bit. And I'm not saying it's, uh, there's 10 vehicles all at once doing something, it's just that they seem to be there more than they were a few months ago. So you mean 8 o'clock at night? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And um, so my priorities would be the, the speeding, distracted driving business. I'm well aware I'm stopped at stoplights and somebody's reading their phone or something next is, to me. Is that your number one priority? Yep. Okay. Speeding. Um, I would say the, you call it the crime reduction, drug reinforcement or whatever. Whatever goes into that topic to me is a good one. Um, at some times, I've noticed on your reports that um, the, um, what do you call it, when people call in and it's not really a, a false alarms. I don't know if that's really up, down, or it seems to me any false alarm it kind of takes away from uh, what we would hope officers would have be able to spend their time on. So, speeding, um, drug, Decrease whatever, call it crime prevention. Um, I, I like your idea of foot and bike traffic. I think that's kind of would be interesting in Peace River. I know at one point I, Lance was in charge of it. I, I know that's gone by the wayside, but he was talking about those, those portable um, signs that the town purchased, about being able to share that data with us, you know, because then we could kind of plan, okay, you know what, certain times we're getting this amount of traffic and this amount of speed. You know those portable speed signs that mm -hmm. yeah i do i do believe that data is shared through the rcp okay. cac group so uh, uh staff sergeant meyer does Has have uh, okay. access to all of that information all right i think with respect to the speeding in particular um it's a bit of a perception a perception issue as well uh, i know we had a lot of complaints in the past about speeding up uh, 101st street on the south side of the hard river bridge and so mm -hmm. we actually put out patrols in that area, myself included, and I spent uh, on a given day during the peak time, which is between four and six o'clock. I think most people can agree when uh, when people are headed to and from work uh, in the evening uh, that you know we spent about forty five minutes there doing a, a, nothing but speed enforcement, and during that time there was not a single vehicle that that came by that probably would have attracted a, a violation ticket of any kind. Um, but it is the one that goes ripping down the street that everyone takes notice of, right? And then it becomes an issue. Uh, I live in the south end as well, and of course, when you hear that one vehicle ripping down the street, it attracts your attention, and uh, and then you become concerned about about the, the speeding aspect of it. Um, now, 
of course, it becomes a challenge in terms of enforcement because you can invest a lot of man hours in, in putting a member there to, to conduct radar enforcement at the side of the road, but of course, uh, it might be two hours before you get to get a violation ticket at the end of the day. So I think uh, visibility is, is a big thing, whether it be through the speed signs that uh, we deploy throughout the town with, uh, with the assistance of the CAC or, uh, or just visible enforcement. I know the integrated traffic unit here between the sheriffs and, and our CMP members, including our detachment members as well, have been getting out there, especially the last couple of months as people have uh, picked up their driving habits and whatnot the foot gets a little heavier on the accelerator there that, uh, that we've been stepping up our enforcement. So hopefully we see a reduction in that here as uh, spring comes around. Of course, an increase could also be attributable to the seasonal change, right? People are always a little more cautious in the winter when they're driving and it picks up again in the spring and summer, so. I like their initiatives. I think that uh, for me, the drug and gang um, related issues would be my number one top priority, which I think is what you guys mentioned was sort of your focus for the upcoming year. Um, the check stops and then the foot and bike patrol just having that presence um, in the downtown and on the, on the uh, riverbanks. I wouldn't change. Just let it be. You're welcome. Yeah, for me, it's uh, number one is drugs, number two is drugs, number three is drugs. Um, Pure and simple, uh, we, we haven't uh, hit, the op opioid crisis hasn't come up here, but uh, when I, I look down south, um, and it seems like one of the reasons for the, uh, the, the, the uh, Trump getting in as president was a, a bit of a white lash because of the, uh, this opioid crisis is hitting small communities, smaller than town of Peace River, places like Iowa and Ohio, and uh, I think we need to uh, stay on top of that. We're a community that um, a lot of people come here um, uh, in their young, as young adults, uh, start raising a family here because they're getting experience either in the forestry industry or in the oil and gas industry and they're raising their kids here and i think that for them a uh, priority is a safe community and a big part of that is is uh, protecting their kids uh, from uh, from getting hooked hooked on the uh, hooked on the drugs uh, and so that's that would be my priority agree with Councillor Danke. I like the priority, priorities that you have listed. My number one, uh, I agree with Mayor Tarkey, is, uh, is the drugs and the crime reduction. Um, my number two uh, would be still the domestic violence. I know a lot of that is based on economy, and the economy seems to be getting better, so I really hope those numbers for domestic violence are going to go down. Um, my number three is not the traffic. However, I do like I do like the bike patrols and the foot patrols, and I do like the cooperation with the with our our new peace officer as far as doing the the uh, drinking and driving uh, cooperation or aspect. But the traffic in town, I think, can be handled a lot by the new CPO position, just to relieve you guys of some hours and manpower hours to concentrate on some other priorities. And not so much of a policing priority, but maybe something that could be looked at. And I've had chats with uh, 
what Staff Sergeant Meyer wrote it, is uh, the gap between um, Alberta Health Services and the RCMP when it comes to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Those would be those would be mine. I guess to me, I just remember. So and I know there's a gap in the in the in the mental illness area where um, a call comes into 911 and you guys have to respond to a situation like that, and it could be going to a doctor. And how long do you actually have to stay at the hospital to? Uh, until that person receives help, or do they get transferred to Grand Prairie, do they get transferred to Edmonton, or what happens there? I know there's a gap in the system there, and like I say, it's not a policing priority, but how do we relieve the RCMP's man hours and concentrate on other things? Well, I think some of our plan addresses that indirectly. I think Jesse would agree with me that all of these uh, priorities are interwoven to some degree. Uh, the mental health uh, spike that we're seeing in terms of uh, individuals or clients that we, we deal with that we have to take to the hospital for mental health assessments, a lot of that is interwoven with the drug abuse in the community. So from the drug abuse, you get the spin-off of violence and property crime as well. So the last couple months, we've had a lot of success in dealing with, uh, with drugs in the community and what have you, and hopefully some of that's reflected uh, in, in what's uh, known to the community through the media and whatnot. Uh, of course, that's a perpetual issue. And uh, we might see some successes now, but of course those players, once we take care of them, are invariably replaced, right? Or return to the community or what have you, which is where our crime reduction initiatives come in through the visibility, through the patrols, through our habitual offender management, all of which we're looking to address in this, uh, in this fiscal year. So. I like, like what you're saying. I, I agree with your prior chairman. And like to me again, I agree with the, with the mayor. I think the, the drug stuff is, is critical. I think it spills up into so many other areas, and keeping focus deficits there. And I, I'm one of the people that to me it seems like the, the speeding, at least on the river road, has increased since we don't have the have the border radar there, and it could just be one up in individuals that again, again, and I don't. I guess what my expectation is you guys work in cooperation with our, our CTO to, to deal with that kind of stuff and make sure that we're kind of sticking that there. But I think for the most part, I, I like my question going on. I just had a, a question for your worship and, uh, and council as well. Uh, is there a timeline for CPO to be to be active? Or? We just wait for the um, uh, province solicitor general to actually give the final approval. They have all the documentations and uh, they uh, are just reviewing the policies right now. Uh, they got a little backlog and they think it's uh, taking a while. They were waiting actually for the MOU between the RCMP and that too. And so we got everything off that we can. So um, just waiting for them to say yes or no. And well, they're going to say yes. It's just, and is that okay? Perfect. Thank you so much. So we're basically, I guess the answer is 30 days, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. I see the car is dirty though. <laughs> 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 it took an effort to spin around. I, uh, I'm not sure I can add much, but just allow me a couple minutes. Uh, Colin was having a, a coffee with a local businessman the other day in the, uh, the Rogers Lock, and I'm sure everyone knows who uh, the owner of the business is. And I, I tongue in cheek, said, "So, uh, how are how's how's the company? How's the business surviving the economy?" And he looked at me and said, "Business is great." And I sort of looked at him with a sour look and said, "Gee, that's 
I did not expect that answer. And his tongue-in-cheek response was, crime is good for my business. Uh, so we had a chuckle uh, and we had our coffee and then we solved a number of other worldly issues. But now at the council table, I think about his comment and uh, it, I guess if it's drugs and if it's gangs and run the buggers out of town, as far as I'm concerned, uh, we don't want them setting roots in this town. Um, the traffic stuff makes sense, the foot patrol makes stuff, and, and yes, we, we did reach into our jeans and buy a, a, an FTE for a, a peace officer position, so uh, I think the expectation is that he, he works with you guys, and uh, that would be great. Yeah, so, good luck. Um, on, on the, one of the activities too, the, the cool police was suppression, but we're, we're running um, through the year we ran a look few what they call these suppression activities. These are activities that make it uncomfortable for people to set up yeah. drugs. And the district funded some of that. They, they sent us what they call the crew team on the Grand Prairie. And basically, it's a bunch of professionally aggressive policemen who work within the law, obviously, making uncomfortable for people to set up shop. We plan to run a few more of those. Um, we, we try and fund that at the provincial side. We're also looking at some other project on the provincial side um, that, again, will help address some of the priorities for the especially with the drugs. Um, one of the other things we're hoping to look for that, we're looking for stronger sentencing too, and we're working, one of our, one of our uh, quality assurance guides is, we're trying to increase the prosecutions, right? We prosecute these individuals, but sometimes prosecutions and the sentencing isn't what we would want. Number one is, obviously, everybody says the police want people to go to jail, but, but we, we, we spend a lot of man hours trying to um, gather evidence on these people and, and and do projects on so we, we actually do want to see somehow you know uh, some measure of justice come from the system so we we've increased our means with the crown prosecutor both on the federal crown prosecutor and the provincial crown prosecutor um, i personally get emails now so we're trying to get a jump and say okay what evidence are we missing what evidence do you need because we want to build better files right. and it wasn't necessarily sometimes the file quality it's sometimes you know the crown might be thinking one way or they might not be aware of all the witness evidence so we're thinking with these meetings, we should get better communication, and, and that's one of our um, measurables that we have for ourselves, right, is we're gonna look and say, how can we increase the likelihood of prosecutions? Because sometimes the frustration is because of technicalities and things, things get dropped, or deals get made, and maybe the Crown doesn't recognize that John Doe has a real strong, we may have only charged him for one thing, but he has a real strong influence in some of the crime in the community, so we want more community sentences, so we're going to measure that this year and see if we have more success with it. Just, uh, and this isn't a personal note, but I don't want to distract from the drugs thing, but uh, it does seem like a, a priority for uh, the traffic enforcement side is car registrations and expired driver's licenses. <laughs> so uh, uh, it would be actually, and I know part of the issue is the province is initiating issuing those notices, like hey, go get your, your registration uh, renewed. But uh, it would be perhaps, since these tickets are around $300 each, it would be- uh, 310, your worship. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wasn't speaking from personal experience. <laughs> but uh, it, for, uh, particularly for law-abiding citizens in the town of Peace River and saving them some money and uh, it, it, if you're if you're going to make a, an initiative like that, it would be worthwhile doing some communication via radio or even 
through our uh, public relations people that this is uh, this is going to be your theme of the month or something like that for the traffic one. And, and sadly, sometimes you hear the people that we gave tickets to, but there's a lot of people we said, hey, go get your registration, park your vehicle, we'll give you a ride. I mean, we've gone to, you know, because we realize, I mean, there's a pretty big gap there, especially for some of the elderly that aren't computer savvy, right, that uh, don't want to sign up. So we have given a lot of breaks in that area, and, and provincially we were told to exercise uh, some wide discretion there. Um, one question, I don't know if it's uh, under your domain or not, but um, we hear stories that uh, people who get out of jail are sort of dropped in the nearest town, say Peace River, and uh, without uh, monies or wherewithal to go back to whatever their home community might be or elsewhere. Do you have a, see that as a problem or is this just a story kind of thing? That is an actual myth. What corrections will do is they'll arrange for these people to go back to their home communities. Okay. Now whether or not they choose to go back is their choice, right? You can't force somebody at gunpoint to get on a bus or leave, right? If they decide they want to stay, well, then they're here. But but they always they're always giving us some kind of means or mechanism to get back. Okay. Yeah, that's good information to have. Yeah, that that anecdotal story is is uh, part of the business community of this town so yeah we can get that information out there but you're right we can't people have a uh, once they're out of jail a right to uh, liberty and, and freedom of movement so so something just following up something deputy mayor manser asked about the alarm calls and we talked about this before i think we talked about you know maybe the town has to have a bylaw to deal with that i don't think we've ever done something my recollection, you guys were to come back with something. No, there, there is a bylaw. We have a, we have a bylaw, and, and, and actually, for so many false alarms, you, you can't uh, issue a citation. So then, then it, at least we recover some of the funds that people are wasting resources to respond to false alarms. Okay, we, we do have that ability. But the long question stuff. is whether it's it's high enough now because it's relatively old, right? So we'll deal with that at another time. Graham was tracking them at one point. And, and actually that is one of the stats that, uh, that uh, uh, Fire Chief Tim Harris presents every month, so we, we do have those. Okay, anything else? Okay, thanks, gentlemen. Thank you. Last but not least on our presentations, we have the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers. And I think this is, we can say that Canadian, so since Baytex and uh, CNRL have bought most of the assets in their Canadian-owned companies, we can say uh, this is a bona fide presentation by the Canadian <laughs> Association of Petroleum that's right. Yeah, and I'll touch uh, touch on a bit of that issue as uh, as I go throughout uh, my remarks as well. So uh, thanks for having us back. I did have a, did set a presentation up. I don't know if you guys got it. If not, it's okay too. I can uh, I can manage without. I think no. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I'll go with good. Yeah, it's it's not a big deal to put that to put your memory stick on the laptop. Uh, I actually don't have one. Thing. Oh, okay. we that. Oh, okay. that, that's fine. Uh, no worries at all. Um, I'm used to giving the spiel at this point, so. Uh, Actually, we, we can put it on. 
if you can link the website to our um, our website yeah. on the agenda. Okay. And yeah, they're just pull it for you. Thanks very much. So I'll just get started while it's being pulled up. Uh, thank you for having us back. I think it's been about a year since uh, we were back. Um, you know, it's been a difficult three years or so for the oil and gas industry. We're starting to come out of it now. Um, uh, we'll see uh, improved capital investment by the industry uh, this year uh, and more wells being drilled uh, in Western Canada. So last year we drilled around 3,700 or so wells in Western Canada. This year we're predicting that the number will be around 5,400. Uh, so an improvement uh, to uh, be sure, uh, about where we were in 2015, a little bit more. Uh, and uh, headed in the right direction. But uh, the industry is facing several headwinds. Um, the first is uh, price uncertainty. So although prices have stabilized, um, you know, we're not quite sure where they're headed and producers aren't confident that they'll continue to head in the right direction. So they're being very cautious on that front uh, for a couple reasons. First, uh, prices are being supported by production cuts in OPEC uh, countries. Uh, and nobody's ever quite sure that the OPEC countries will stick to their agreement. They seem to be holding to it uh, at this point in time. I think it's helpful that they brought in uh, Russia to part of the conversation as well. Um, but uh, the other part of the story, and uh, likely the more significant part of the story, is really the ability of U.S. shale producers to bring on a lot of production very quickly uh, on price signals, and uh, that's what we're seeing. So a couple weeks ago, the United States actually had more oil in storage uh, than it did have in any other time in its history. Uh, and so that uh, that's the real story that's uh, going to play out, and I'll uh, touch on the U.S. Uh, sort of throughout. Uh, thanks very much. So I'll maybe uh, just stop here and go back to the capital investment story, uh, because it is relevant to the local region as well. Um, so we're predicting this year an increase in capital spending by the industry over last year of about 20%. Uh, but as you'll see from this graph uh, on the left, uh, most of that, in fact all of it, uh, is in the conventional uh, industry, so you know, drilling holes. Uh, and the oil sands, the larger projects, uh, are going to continue to struggle from a capital investment standpoint. Uh, they're more in, uh, in a phase of maintaining uh, the production that they have. And the reason for that is uh, for some of the uh, reasons, price uncertainty and others that I'll talk about uh, later on. Um, if you're going to invest in the oil sands uh, on a single project, uh, you know, you're looking at billions of dollars, whereas if you're looking to drill a well, uh, you're looking at millions of dollars. So it's a lot easier to make your decisions if you're in the conventional side of the business. Uh, so that's the reason for that discrepancy. And uh, as I say, in the local region here, we'll have uh, you know, some consequences. Uh, that one I covered. Uh, so the other part of the, the story on uh, the drilling activity is really that um, producers are focusing on the best available resources in the province. Alberta has a great diversity in resource across the province. Uh, if you look at where the drilling activity occurred last year, it's really in four resource plays, and we would anticipate that that continued to be the case. Uh, and that's really about uh, you know, a company's ability to uh, get a return on their investment at these lower prices. Uh, so on the gas side, it's really uh, the big story is the Montney, uh, which runs uh, basically from Grand Cache up through Grand Prairie, uh, up beyond uh, Fort St. John in northeast British Columbia. 
liquids rich natural gas. Uh, they've opened, opened up uh, an oil window in that resource play right now that's uh, paying off for producers. And uh, that is the big Canadian story uh, for the industry right now. Uh, the second area, again, a liquids rich natural gas play. That's more exploratory in nature, but they're starting to come out of that uh, and bringing their costs down significantly. It's called the Duvernay. It's really centered around Fox Creek. Uh, but that's more about future potential uh, going forward. And then from an oil standpoint, uh, most of the drilling is really occurring in the Cardium, which runs up the uh, eastern slopes of the province, uh, and then the Viking, which is uh, on the eastern edge of the province uh, and going into Saskatchewan. Um, so from an industry standpoint, obviously, you know, the tendency is to look at the areas that are returning, but those areas of the province that uh, aren't uh, seeing that return to investment are going to continue to see uh, issues arise, and uh, as the industry association, we are very much attuned to those. So things like abandoned assets, uh, the need uh, to look at liability and closure systems, uh, we have a court case on that front uh, that's, uh, that's concerning to us right now. Uh, and ultimately looking at the Orphan Well Association uh, as well to uh, deal with those assets that are out there um, that, uh, that are coming from uh, bankruptcy protection into the Orphan Well Association. So uh, happy to take questions on that front uh, at the end. Uh, so uh, we have two kind of structural challenges and then I'll uh, touch on a, on a couple. The first I started to talk about, which was uh, costs. Um, so even though prices are higher, uh, they're certainly not where they were at 2014. And uh, I have one member who likes to remind me that the last time oil was $100 a barrel, the oil and gas industry in Canada was making a lower return than it was when it was $40 prior to that. And uh, you know, there are lots of reasons for that. Um, the nature of the industry changed pretty dramatically in that time. Um, but uh, it's just to point out that even though uh, prices have come higher, uh, producers still need to be very disciplined and focused on their cost structure. Um, part of that is also looking towards innovation uh, and better engineering. Um, producers are getting more efficient, so in that Monty play, don't have stats in Alberta, but the British Columbia Oil and Gas uh, Commission uh, suggests that um, we're getting 8% better production out of the Monty every single year. Um, and that's just as a result of better engineering, better uh, technology. Um, as I say, uh, producers uh, focusing on the best resource plays in the province. And uh, we continue as an industry association to be concerned about the potential for government policy to add cost to the industry. Um, when, uh, you know, in our view, uh, it continues to be a challenge, particularly when uh, you look at what's happening south uh, in the US, and I'll talk about that more uh, going forward. Uh, the second structural change uh, that we have, of course, and you know we've been talking about this for uh, years now, is really the need to get away from the U.S. Uh, as our only foreign market for our uh, for our products. Uh, so, uh, liquefied natural gas facilities on the coast continue to be a priority for us, um, as well as uh, being able to move our oil uh, to uh, to tide water. Uh, with uh, respect to oil uh, and uh, you know Shell, when it made its initial decision to uh, postpone uh, Carmen Creek 2 pointed out that one of the challenges they saw um, uh, that led to that decision was the lack of pipeline capacity. We have uh, today uh, in Western Canada, we move about 3.9 million barrels of oil a day. We only have capacity to move 4 million barrels a day. Uh, so uh, we're coming up to the point where our pipes are near capacity. So it's not just about moving away from the US, it's also about giving that capacity 
for the long-term health of the industry. So that's why Keystone XL, as an example, uh, continues to be important uh, to us as well. Uh, so I'll touch on uh, three other uh, policy areas, uh, and uh, then I think uh, we're free to take questions. So first is uh, climate change policy. Um, you know, we recognize as an industry uh, that we need to do our part to lower our uh, greenhouse gas emissions uh, on the upstream. Uh, we support uh, the direction of the government to, uh, to reduce methane emissions in particular. Uh, that's where our focus is these days. They've made a commitment to reduce uh, upstream methane emissions by 45%. We need to do that, though, in a way that makes sense from a business perspective and, as I say, doesn't add an unnecessary cost. The other thing we need to be concerned about is uh, protecting uh, Canadian industries from what uh, we call carbon leakage. So if the result of your carbon policy is to simply shut in production, uh, you're uh, achieving carbon reductions domestically, uh, but you're not actually doing that worldwide. You're just shifting that production elsewhere. Uh, where they don't have carbon policy. Uh, and so you're not really achieving the intended outcomes from a policy perspective, and you're hurting the economy. So as we move uh, forward on climate change, we need to make sure that we're doing so in a way that meets our targets, but also allows production to continue to exist and to continue to grow uh, in Canada uh, from a trade uh, perspective. Um, Second policy file that's, uh, that we're kind of keenly on top of these days is with uh, respect to caribou. Uh, so um, week before last, uh, I was up in the region talking to many of your colleagues in the rural municipalities with caribou herds. Uh, we're facing a federal uh, deadline of October of 2017 uh, for the provinces to come up with uh, effective range plans uh, to manage the herds. Um, if we don't, if we're not successful in that, uh, the federal government really only has one tool in its toolbox under the existing legislation, and that's to sterilize the land uh, to any kind of development. So obviously from an oil and gas perspective, uh, we're quite concerned about that. Uh, so we, of course, need to protect the caribou herds, uh, do what we can to, uh, to increase their populations, but we also, in our view, need to allow for a working landscape. Uh, if we have that working landscape and oil and gas is allowed to continue to exist, then uh, we're prepared to come to the table. Uh, on the solution side, uh, not just with uh, practical solutions, but also uh, from a cost perspective as well. Um, but uh, if you don't have that working landscape, uh, the oil and gas industry won't be there uh, and you won't have anybody to pay for it. So that's our primary concern uh, with respect to caribou. Uh, and then finally, uh, and I talked touched on this earlier, uh, with respect to wealth closure and liability, um, you know, because of the state of the economy, uh, we've had to increase bankruptcies, uh, which has created challenges. Uh, we also uh, have a court case that throws into question uh, the, uh, the liability management regime that we have in the province today. Uh, so we really need to tackle uh, this whole issue from uh, three fronts. So the first is uh, actually looking at uh, site closure management for existing healthy companies and making sure that uh, we have appropriate policy in place that encourages uh, those sites to be properly abandoned and reclaimed uh, over time uh, while companies are healthy. Uh, the second is making sure that a uh, company who has uh, 
going into financial difficulty, uh, is still able to take care of its own environmental uh, obligations on this front. Um, that's the system that's in question today and uh, that a lot of uh, work is being done on. And then finally, uh, the Orphan Well Association, which was really set up to deal with legacy sites. And what we mean by that is, um, you know, well sites uh, that were properly abandoned and reclaimed to the standard of the day, um, but that might have been back as far back as 1914. Uh, things over time happen, and the standard of the day in 1914 is certainly not what it is today. Um, and that's what that Orphan Well Association was meant to, uh, to take care of. It's 100% paid for by industry through a levy that's uh, paid to the Alberta Energy Regulator. Um, now that we're in a, a spot where that Orphan Well Association is uh, seeing an influx of assets from bankrupt companies, uh, we need to make sure that uh, that, that Orphan Well Association is viable uh, in the long term. Uh, industry has increased its uh, levy uh, from $30 million a year, sorry, from $15 million to $30 million a year. I believe it's in 2019 that will go up uh, again. Um, but we need to be working on the other, the first two pieces that I mentioned to try and relieve what may come into the Orphan Well Association down the road. Um, so uh, that's a quick uh, picture of, uh, of that one. Um, so I'll just talk about the US a little bit um, and then that will lead me uh, into uh, at least my comments uh, to open on uh, on some activity that uh, has, a, has an impact on uh, this particular region. So the other significant area of concern that we have as an industry association right now uh, is the policies of the new U.S. administration and what that can mean for Canadian oil and gas. Uh, and it's really twofold. Uh, in one respect, uh, if the administration is successful in bringing in a number of its policies, it's going to make it easier uh, to do business in the United States uh, and in, in general, but in particular for the oil and gas industry. And then second, um, uh, what is seemingly a protectionist uh, shift on the part of the United States uh, when it comes to trade. So the first uh, issue, the administration has promised things like uh, lower corporate taxes, uh, lower cost of regulation, uh, again in general, but specifically for the oil and gas industry, uh, as well as um, opening up uh, more land to oil and gas development. Um, so the previous Obama administration uh, forbade uh, oil and gas activity on federal lands. The new administration intends to open up those federal lands to activity. Um, and so the impact of that would be uh, an increase uh, in likelihood of oil and gas activity, um, you know, reduced costs, allowing U.S. producers to operate at an even lower price of oil than, uh, than they can today, um, and exacerbating uh, the situation here in Canada from a cost perspective, and uh, therefore the potential to move uh, significant amounts of uh, foreign capital out of Canada and into the United States. Um, we're seeing some of that today um, with uh, the Shell uh, deal. Uh, the good side of that, uh, to be clear, and we shouldn't underestimate the good part of it, uh, is that there was a buyer for those assets, um, despite the nature of them. Uh, and we have a uh, you know, significant Canadian player that's prepared to continue to invest in Canada, and that's a positive. Um, we also, also saw uh, ConocoPhillips, uh, 
you know, exit from most of their oil sands projects. They're continuing on with some of them. And so if that is about, um, you know, a consolidation in the industry, particularly in higher cost uh, resource basins like the oil sands, uh, that, then that's one thing. But if it's really about uh, a flight of uh, foreign capital out of Canada into other jurisdictions, then that's a real concern uh, for the oil and gas industry here in Canada. And governments need to uh, be cognizant of that and look at their own policies uh, from that lens going forward. Um, and then when it comes to protectionism, and this is an area where I think uh, both the federal government and provincial government uh, deserve a lot of credit uh, being attuned to this issue. Uh, if we were to get uh, some kind of border adjustment tax, uh, it would uh, be devastating not just to the oil and gas industry in Canada, but also to the Canadian economy as a whole. Um, and so, um, you know, the, as I say, the federal government's been highly engaged in Washington. The provincial government, including the premier, have been engaged on the file. Uh, we're engaged on that front uh, as well uh, and are reaching out to Congress um, as we speak. Uh, we have an internal kind of task group that's looking um, at, our, uh, at the U.S. Uh, as a whole and, uh, and trying to direct some of that activity um, on behalf of CAP and, uh, and uh, its members. Um, but, you know, because we just, you know, can't afford to lose on that one. So uh, that's the US story. Um, I guess uh, I'll end on a good note and uh, I'd like to show this slide. And this is the good, uh, this is the good part of the story is that, you know, despite the shift towards renewables, uh, the world is going to continue to need uh, energy in all its forms going forward and more of it. Uh, so it will need more oil and natural gas. This is a graph from the International Energy Agency that shows uh, an energy demand projection up to 2040 and then breaks it down into the various different kinds of energy. And you can see renewables will take up a greater percentage of the energy the world needs. Uh, particularly that's true uh, in, uh, in uh, advanced economies uh, because of consumer choice and because of government intervention. Uh, but the reality uh, remains that, uh, that the world's going to need more oil and natural gas as well. So, uh, you know, if we can get access to the resource uh, and uh, settle issues like caribou, if we can get access to capital and investment dollars and solve uh, some of our competitive challenges, if we can get access to those markets, uh, then Canada will be well placed uh, to take advantage of this. Um, but we need to uh, be focused on uh, those three things. And uh, if we do, then I think we need to start thinking about, as an industry, how we start to position uh, Canada as a uh, supplier of choice to the world. So, um, you know, if we're uh, going to do better, I'd argue we do better today um, than anywhere else in the world, but if we're able to improve more, particularly on the climate front, uh, which we're putting a lot of effort into, uh, how can we take advantage of that? Not just from the social and environmental benefits uh, that come with that, but uh, how do we uh, start to position uh, Canada's oil and gas industry to take economic advantage of that as well. And so that's kind of the bigger, longer-term picture that we're starting to focus on as an industry association. So leave it there. Happy to take uh, questions on anything uh, that's on your mind. And we'll go from there. I have a couple of questions. The, on the caribou front, 
Yeah. In my day job, I worked for Environment and Parks, and I was involved with special places. Each meeting with companies trying to set aside these things, and I like the, the concept of setting stuff up, but it seemed like both the forest industry and the wrong caps were just on the net net and down so small that I think basically put us in the box we're in today, where if there's you know, unless we do something drastic, we're not going to be able to, to do anything to sustain those caps. It's like, what is caps doing now to kind of to deal with that? Like, is there other than say, well, you know, we need to access to your land base if we're going to continue to go? Yeah, so we're prepared to talk about a whole range of, of tools, um, you know, from setting aside land uh, to uh, restoration of legacy. Um, you know, seismic lines in particular are the real issue, uh, and to come to the table with dollars to do that uh, on some kind of uh, credit system. Um, you know, we're prepared to talk about uh, you know other tools as well if the government is prepared to come to the table on things like uh, on uh, penning and other uh, things that uh, if we think they'll work. And um, our so our general approach is to say is first. We need that working landscape if we're going to be able to afford to be there uh, to come forward with those solutions. We also need to look at it uh, on a range-by-range -range basis because how the oil and gas industry uses the landscape in each place is very different and the nature of the companies that are there are very different. Uh, so the oil sands, for example, you have these large mega projects um, and the range of tools that uh, members operating there can afford to bring to the table are a lot different than they are. Uh, in particular ranges where uh, the value of the assets are less and you're dealing with smaller uh, players. So what that looks like is going to have to be different um, on a range-by-range -range basis. But we're prepared to talk about a whole host of tools to be able to achieve uh, that federal goal of having 65% intact uh, landscape. And I attended, they had a conference here energizing the north and then there's last month two weeks ago there's no one there that i recognize from the oil and gas sector uh, they shared some interesting stuff about um, that would affect oil and gas town hinton is actually looking at geothermal there in a big major way are are any of the oil and gas companies i mean it sounds like they've got some pretty good relationships there that they'll make that work is that those kind of discussions happening elsewhere uh yes and i can't talk to specifics i don't have spe specific examples but uh you know Again, given the environment we're in and some of the challenges we face, particularly on the legacy side, um, you know, how can we uh, take advantage of other possible technologies? So geothermal is one from older well sites. Um, you know, is it possible to develop small-scale co-generation of electrical power out of flare stacks? Um, you know, there's a company looking around because in some of the geology in the province, um, you get lithium out of flowback water. Uh, so, you know, is there a way to drop lithium out of that flow back to create another industry in the province? So there's lots of kind of interesting things going on that are being driven by the state of the economy. It'd be kind of interesting to see where they go forward. Yeah, but I found it interesting, like, the reason geothermal hasn't caught on before is returns for six or seven years, whereas oil and gas were, you know, generally looking three to four years of production. Uh, conference in any years ago, they said that there's wells in BC, they actually inject more energy back down the hole when they're put, putting the produced water back wow. down than what they actually were deriving from the from the oil that for production. So there's a, puts a whole different perspective on it when you think about geothermal in that way. Yeah, so. for sure.
uh, if I may wish, uh, if, if we were to ask you to speculate on, uh, or maybe you were going to come to this Canadian Natural Resources, so um, what's the what's the trap line in downtown Calgary say about Canadian Natural Resources? What 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 will Peace River look like in five months or five years? You must have some intel, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, I don't. Uh, I think what I would encourage you to do is uh, you know, just seek them out and bring them forward to talk about what their plans are for the play. Um, you know, uh, you know, they'll have done their due diligence. They'll have an idea of what they're looking at. I think the deal closes sometime in June, if I remember correctly. Um, so I would encourage you to bring them forward. I think you know, Canadian Natural has a, has a reputation, but in my experience, they, uh, they're very good at the community. Level. Their local operations people uh, tend to be uh, highly involved in their communities, and uh, so would encourage you to reach out for them, uh, or reach out to them uh, to talk about those plans. Um, as I say, from a kind of bigger picture, uh, for us, I think it's twofold. It's the the good news uh, part of the story, which is that um, you know there are significant players that are prepared to uh, take on. Uh, these assets as others are looking uh, to, uh, to shed them. Uh, so they obviously see value in it uh, and are prepared to make a significant investment into it. Um, and then the flip side is, you know, what does it mean from, uh, from for the ability of the industry to attract uh, foreign capital? Because we do need that for the long-term health of the industry, particularly the smaller players uh, in the industry. If they're to survive, they need to raise uh, equity uh, or capital, I should say. Sometimes it's not always through equity uh, on a regular basis, and not all of that comes from Canada. So um, that's where it's concerning. But um, well, maybe just leave it there. I don't know if that gives you enough. I perhaps put you on the spot, but <laughs> I was again just kind of curious to see uh, what your your take was. So uh, another question. Uh, so pipeline construction. I think you you touched on it earlier. So. Um, are we, we're all going to breathe easier in 18 months when these things are built, or what? Uh, what's the timeline on on this? Yeah, I think you know on uh, the oil side, uh, po very positive that we uh, got approvals from the federal government on uh, two projects, um, particularly the one uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline down to Burnaby. Um, that gives us uh, a shot at getting those uh, Asian markets. Um, so yeah, uh, what I would say though is the job isn't done yet. Construction hasn't started. Um, oil's not flowing, uh, so there's a lot of work to do there. Um, you know, proponents, the oil and gas industry as a whole, still needs to work to alleviate some of the commuting concerns that are there. Um, you know, I think the project proponents done a very good job of that, but uh, certainly not uh, finished. Uh, we would expect court challenges to come. Uh, you know, the city of Burnaby brought one forward that was uh, was already tossed out by the court. We'd expect others to come as well. Um, so work's not done. We've overcome you know the biggest hurdle, but um, but we you know for the long term health of the industry, that's what we really need is access to time Thank you. So um, in the states, are there some uh, shale? Deposits that um, the communities and whatnot have managed to say no, you're not going to be um, mining shale resources here. 
Yeah, so under the, uh, you know, they have a different uh, legal system, obviously. There have been, uh, you know, sort of county by county prohibitions on, uh, on hydraulic fracturing. Um, but, uh, you know, it certainly is not at a scale that has prevented the U.S. from doing and in terms of the shale, would you say that the U.S. shale production is really equivalent to whatever OPEC is doing in, to us in terms of the economy, or is the shale worse, the OPEC worse, or are they both even? Uh, so from a price perspective, uh, OPEC is actually helping these days, right, because they're cutting their production, and it's the, it's the ability of the U.S. producers that are hurting from a price standpoint. And, it's the U.S. now that is our real competition. And do you see, um, like China, and I don't know, perhaps other Asian countries, um, as truly being um, viable um, export markets for us in terms of being big enough and wanting uh, our product rather than the state's product? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and if you look particularly on the natural gas side, if you look at the largest uh, and you know from a long-term perspective most likely liquefied natural gas uh, projects they all have Asian proponents built into the project they, they all have equities and equity stake in it uh, and Asia uh, China included uh, they're looking for a diversity of supply for their oil and gas that they need because uh, they don't want to just rely on the Middle East or Russia uh, where there's more political there's a lot less political risk in Canada. So if we can get these projects to work, um, you know, they'll, they'll want uh, to take a look at us and, and uh, buy our product. Thank you. You talked about like getting the natural gas to the, to the is there a pipeline plan to take natural gas to the, to, to the ocean? That's, that hasn't been created yet, has it? So there's one large project uh, that's uh, run by Petronas. Uh, their upstream partner is uh, Progress Energy of British Columbia. So they have uh, their federal approval, and that project would take about two billion cubic feet of natural gas a day. Uh, but they haven't, uh, as a as a corporation, made the decision to go on that project yet. They're reviewing uh, the terms of their approval and the market conditions, um, and don't really have timeline right now uh, on as to when they're going to make that decision. Uh, there's another uh, smaller scale uh, project uh, that will take gas uh, off at Squamish, uh, just north of Vancouver. Um, and that one's been approved, and the company is given uh, the go ahead to build. Uh, so they plan to start construction sometime this year. Uh, now it's smaller. I, if I remember correctly, it's about 850 million cubic feet of gas a day. Uh, might be off by a little bit, but I'm close. Um, so it's much smaller scale. Um, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, positive that we're getting one uh, to go forward. And then when you talked about the American Shale, Baytex gave a presentation to the Chamber of Commerce, so I sat in on it. If I understood it properly, they, they talked about the value of what the OPEC plan in terms of increasing, creating more, you know, demand or reducing supply so that there is, you know, stuff to push up. They implied that this, the shale in the states is taking up a lot of that existing gap, so that's they were concerned that was the real downside for the Canadian sector. If, if that continues to expand, then it'll force OPEC to do what they did two years ago, whatever it was, just drop the market out of it to, to drive those guys out of market again, which to me that sets up a scenario where it's just round and round and round and yeah. no one really wins. 
Yeah, no, that's risk. And uh, yeah, that's what we, we did see, you know, at, uh, at the start of the downturn, OPEC thought they could by maintaining their production force out shale producers, but then the shale producers, uh, you know, were able to cut the cost so much to make go of it that OPEC basically gave up and ended up cutting their production anyways, uh, you know, three uh, years later. So uh, yeah, that's that's what we're in now. The U.S. is, uh, as I say, that's the big story. That's our real competitive threat. Um, that's what governments have to be paying attention to. Um, and, uh, you know, there are, they're the, they're the main producer now. On any given day, they're the US largest producer of, uh, of oil in the world. When you came, I don't know whether it was last year or two years ago, and we were, you were talking about uh, uh, initiatives to help, uh, help the industry recover. And one of the items you brought up was the tax gap between industrial commercial versus residential. And you had a recommendation on that. What was your ratio? Uh, so we were suggesting government uh, two to one. Uh, they came in at five to one. Right. Um, so you're not very happy about that, I think. Well, our biggest concern with that, so that that captures uh, the municipalities that we were most concerned about, uh, to be sure. Uh, what we were concerned about uh, is that we didn't see a mechanism to bring those above the cap down. Uh, and I think the government's working on that now. Um, so that was our biggest concern on that front. The other uh, concern that we have uh, with the MGA uh, as drafted is uh, the ability of municipalities to uh, further um, uh, delineate between, the, provide different tax rates for different kinds of industries. So we're looking for some, uh, for some sets of rules around that and some, uh, some controls on that as well. Um, you know, again, just from a fairness perspective, um, obviously not so much of a concern for us in uh, in uh, urban municipalities, but in rural municipalities, it's a, a real concern for us. Okay. And uh, one of the things that we left you with was you need to communicate to those rural municipalities that they need to share more 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 of that wealth. So, how do you think that communication has gone? Uh, well, I <laughs> that front. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, if you recall, our position on that was, uh, uh, was that, you know, that sharing ultimately, <coughs> ideally, uh, would be brought about between conversations with the municipalities themselves. Um, you know, we recognize that the urban municipalities provide services for our industry too. Um, but uh, we didn't want it to be done on a revenue-sharing basis, but on a cost-sharing basis, so that uh, you know it was based on the actual needs of communities and uh, and uh, you know servicing uh, taxpayers. But uh, I guess I would ask you how the result of that conversation has gone, um, and uh, and the me mechanisms provided under the new MGA and. Uh, I know, uh, you know municipalities are basically forced to communicate under that. Um, but you would have a much better sense of how that's going than, than I would at this point. Well, I think we're, we're putting the infrastructure in place to deal with that. That'll probably be for the next, uh, next council to deal with. I think we've put the administration in place. We've got some individuals in our administration that have a lot of experience with this type of cost sharing. Uh, arrangement from Nova Scotia and uh, been doing somewhat outside uh, the Alberta 
wherever they'll they'll be have some their ideas will be a little fresher and they'll be uh, they'll be uh, accommodated more or listened to more by the uh, rural municipalities. Uh, yeah, I, I, it remains to be seen how it will work. Um, I, I am a little concerned that uh, they are just going to delay and delay until they finally that is uh, more friendly to their way of doing business and uh, make the urban municipalities pay. Right. But, uh, but it, it's really our, it's, it's the citizens from the urban municipalities that work out in your, yeah. in your industry and extract the resource and, and make it value added. So I think that's that's my point. Yeah. No, and having those healthy communities that uh, are able to track that local workforce is a benefit to yeah. the gas industry. There's no question about that. Yeah, I'm sure. That's what we're trying to do. But we have made uh, quite a bit of progress with the surrounding municipalities in the last three, four years. Uh, I was kind of interested in your, uh, you got a graph there of uh, the primary energy, and uh, I see coal isn't dipping, even no. though. Uh, the only gas industry has talked about natural gas being the bridge to the future, the low carbon, uh, low, uh, a lower carbon environment. Uh, so how are you going to how are you going to uh, get to your goal of lower carbon? Well, I think you know we you know the oil and gas industry can control the oil and gas industry, and that's where we need to focus. Um, you know, for gas producers, obviously. Uh, you know, they're the natural alternative to coal in most cases. So, um, you know, if you're able to build a, a natural gas plant to fire electricity, uh, you're reducing your carbon footprint by 50% uh, over the entire life cycle uh, compared to a coal uh, plant. So, you know, that's what we push, obviously. Um, but as I say, you know, the reality of the amount of energy the world's going to need going forward, it's going to need more in all its forms. So, um, the good news on that graph for us is if you, it's kind of a difficult graph to read, but the uh, fastest growing on that uh, is actually natural gas. So, but overall, the carbon footprint is increasing. So, yeah. Yeah. hydro and nuclear and um, aren't growing very much. No. Any other questions for, for our guests from Canadian Petroleum Producers Association? Great, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, why don't we uh, power through bylaws, unfinished business, and then maybe take a break before new business? So, uh, are there any bylaws, Mr. Parker? There are none, Your Worship. That takes us to the check registries of March 13th. Uh, we got March 13th here twice. Was that just because of our June registry? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And March the 17th. So, any questions on those? Check registries for information. I so move. All in favor? Uh, we have an RCMP WAD report. 
three items on there the bottom two I understood because they had amounts in them but the very first one just remind me what our uh, what was our number um, the, the letter says I'm pleased to inform you operating spending plan submitted by your municipality has been accepted you may proceed with your municipality 2016 operating allocation so remind me what the, remind me what our number was Greg uh, I'm just looking for that. Is it the operating or capital amount? It, you know, it says operating here, but you might as well get both operating and capital. I think yep. capital is 1.5 or 1.7. 1.6 million dollars for capital. So 61,000 for operating. Okay, so I'm assuming from the letter then that we got 1.6 and 61,000 for operating. Yes, there was, there was a question as we did the budget on whether we get the same amount in 2017 as we did in 2016, and we did. That, uh, thank you. That, yeah, that just the letter is did not have any amounts. Do you people have any other questions on, on these letters from municipal affairs? Honorable Shane I have a question, Your Worship. It's more uh, for Chris or uh, Mr. Parker. Um, you've been quite successful in getting a number of these grants. Uh, so many, in fact, that I have a hard time keeping them straight. So I was wondering if you could have someone prepare just kind of a little table that would just kind of list them, who's party to each of those dollar amounts, and maybe periodically could be updated just where we're at with each of those those grants. That, that's correct. We can do so. We'll uh, put together a little chart and a graph. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and by the way, I can't claim credit. It's actually the team's done a really good job. It's. Uh, I would uh, eight. What is it? Seven point three three to seven point five inclusive. Uh, so move, uh, your worship. is a uh, it's a request for a decision uh, regarding the fundraising RFP for the Peace Regional Recreational 
should be the Peace River Regional Recreational Complex. Is it? No. But is it supposed to be, though? No. No. Yeah. Peace Regional. Peace Regional. Yeah. Can you have one, two? No. Hi, Your Worshiping Council. The report this evening in front of you is in regards to um, a proposal around uh, hiring consultant or looking to explore the option of hiring a consulting company for fundraising. Uh, administration has looked at a number of options and would propose a request for proposals process to further explore and um, discover what kind of costings uh, this option could be. Right now we're rather void in terms of that information related to if we were to go to the route of hiring a consulting company to do some mass fundraising for us, what could the potential, potential costs be to that process? Um, we are having initiated a local fundraising committee. That committee has met once and the committee is made up of just a, a, approximately four individuals and we attempted a second meeting and it didn't go as well as the first meeting. So we are putting out another notice to see if we can um, put together a third meeting and we'll see where that goes. So um, a part of the reason to bring this forward is twofold. We are looking to build on some of the, the local fundraising. We don't anticipate the target being any greater than approximately $350,000 for local fundraising, specifically around the sponsorship package type system is what we're looking at, and some other small fundraising efforts. With the opportunity of a larger fundraising company, potentially there could be larger financial opportunities. However, we're not 100% certain or don't have enough of the information to fully understand what engaging a consultant would mean for us until we could uh, proceed with an RFP process and hence the recommendation to do so, so we can do a little more research and see the viability of um, that secondary process. I do see the two working together, whether it's um, a process of the committee being a part of um, this larger consultation fundraising group, or the administration is that intermediary between the two organizations. We see some overlap, but some coordination between the two. So that is an option um, when looking at a consultant, not being in competition with your local fundraising committee, but being a, one of the two being the arm of the other and yet to be determined. Okay, good. Questions? So has the, the local fundraising group, does it kind of know about this? Um, no, it was going to be the discussion at the meeting that did not occur. So we had one uh, individual attend, one other was sick, to be fair, um, was unwell and could not attend the meeting. Um, but that was one of the topics of conversation for that meeting. And the 350,000 uh, goal mm -hmm. is the goal for the, the two, two or just the one? The local committee. And so this is above and beyond three, that, yeah. or whatever? Correct. That would be the intention. So, the idea behind this thing is to put on RFP to see, first off, what's out there, what kind of companies Correct. are out there, and 
how they operate. Correct. What they would do and what yep. their responsibilities would be. That's correct. And costing. Um, some offer percentages, some offer flat rates. We'd like to explore what those options are. It, and quite honestly, at this point, we're, we're not sure in terms of that detail, so it does make it difficult to make a decision. The RFP process would assist us in having some of that information prior to making a final de decision to proceed or not. With. Um, we would post this within the next four weeks. Within four weeks yeah. and response time? That would, we'd have to have posted at least two to three weeks, so turn around another, another month. At least, depending on um, um, a schedule of council meetings. Yeah. So we'd need, need a week. Why four weeks? Uh, for which part? To put it out. Um, I just need a, at least a week or two to put the RFP package together. It, so the next you have a target group that you would send this to, or where would you no. put this? Or where do you advertise this RFP? That's what you need That's the week a for. Great question. Yes, we'd put it on APC. Would be definitely the location uh, as an automatic, um, and then we'd have to do some far and wide advertising and a little more research to see if there are any specific sites that you would post this type of request for. Do you know of any other? Um, municipalities or uh, projects that that sort of thing has been used for? There are one or two companies that have um, been attempting to solicit our business have provided us with um, their clientele list of some successful locations. So we'll do some reference checks as it were. <laughs> so it's intent just to solicit like sponsorships for ongoing operations of the facility or it could be everything? It could be everything. It could be grant writing. It could be a combination thereof. I mean, I attended, I think the first year of my council at AMA, yes. they had some in there that talked about yep. focus on this. And they, again, this was one of these consultants you would probably want to submit on this. They certainly recommended that uh, municipalities should do that because they believed there was value in that because their expertise they would get more money out of the stone than what the municipality would on their own so i guess to me it's worthwhile exploring that okay so everyone has agreed worthwhile exploring to on it so let's get a motion well, seems like a motherhood statement yeah you make a motion i am making a motion because i don't want to be fundraising <laughs> Uh, a motion to direct administration to post an RFP for fundraising services, uh, in particular for the Peace Regional Rec Center, uh, as quickly as possible. Do you have that, Ms. McLean? I, I do, Your Worship. You to repeat it. I just. Uh, my notes include a uh, report the outcome of the process, including financial institutions and accounts. Do you want the part included? Uh, all in favor? This is a similar request that uh, Council and the Region has addressed in 2015. At the time it was the Alberta 55 Plus Games. Um, they've remastered 
the name, and I'm assuming some of the, they keep um, adjusting the sports that are a part of these sets of games for this particular age group. The Ministry of Alberta Culture and Tourism has invited the Town of Peace River and other municipalities, so other our surrounding partners have received this uh, request also. The Town of Grimshaw specifically inquired as to whether or not Council had addressed this item as of yet, and that was a week ago. Um, uh, as you've seen in the past, and it was this particular Council that addressed this previously, they, this project would be approximately a million dollar budget. It's an estimated project budget. Typically, municipalities are requested to financially contribute to hosting a games, not just the bid portion, but once you're successful to the financial operations of the games. Um, in the past, it has been upwards of 200,000, but based on this budget, um, we had been looking at approximately 75 to 100,000 dollars. And again, depends on fundraising efforts within your region to meet your operating goal targets. Um, also, that it would be a commitment for the municipality to provide the facilities at no cost to the host um, um, agency or host organization for the duration of the games. It is just a, a four-day games providing the facilities is not a hardship to a, a municipality for those four days. Um, in 2015, we did submit a games bid. Uh, it was a lengthy and rather frustrating process for all the municipalities who were involved. We eventually um, conceded and removed our bid from the process as we were getting to a time frame that was unrealistic to fundraise uh, with approximately 12 months and, and every day it was being whittled away with a lack of a decision from the ministry. So we were down to approximately 12 months prior to the host of the actual date of the games. So it was collectively decided to step away from the bid um, as that really put pressure on the communities to both fundraise, find volunteers, even get the organization uh, fully operational with staff, etc. Um, it was felt it was just not viable at that point. So going into our options, uh, obviously your options are to initiate a bid with your surrounding municipalities. It would have to be a collaborative effort as always. Um, these are a level of games that we require the region to participate, both financially and also for their resources, uh, namely their facilities and volunteers and, and such. Um, hosting a games always provides uh, a decent economic turnaround the master level or senior level, we do see um, provincially uh, greater impact than hosting a youth games um, in terms of our economics. They tend to travel more, there's potential for these individuals to come back after they've gotten a little taste of the, the region. Um, they may come back again as a tourist, that type of situation. Um, there is a financial impact to hosting, as mentioned already, and the time frame is rather close for us. Um, the timing would be the summer or late summer of 2019. Which is our September year. That is correct. Is there any specific weekends picked yet? No, 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 no. We, during the whole bid process, um, you have the opportunity to uh, 
propose a time frame that you would prefer to host. Uh, the previous bid, it was July, um, and we had discussions with the um, provincial decision-making body that we preferred August as operationally for our facilities. It just made more sense than trying to have ice in arenas and curling rinks. Curling rinks was going to be a, a really difficult challenge to have ice in, in our local curling rinks in um, the heat of the summer. Some of them wouldn't have been able to do it at all. Uh, Grimshaw, for example, their natural ice, it, no natural ice in July. Um, so there's some challenges there. Um, we will be completing the multiplex. It's anticipated to be functioning, operational, open, moved in by approximately uh, late spring of 2019, March, April. Um, it may not give us quite enough time to, it's recommended that you put in your ice at least two times after you've um, put in a new plant, new slab, this is a brand new facility. So we'd be putting it in, taking it out in succession prior to putting in final ice for the season. Um, it adds another layer of stress um, to the project to get it rolling, to make sure staff are ready, et cetera, et cetera. The parking lot at that time will be um, a mess. It will, there will be major construction in the parking lot. The building will be demoed during that time. The existing Baytex Energy Center will be being demoed during that time frame and we'll be working on a parking lot. So there'd be some fun with the parking area, not insurmountable. Hey, in Rio, they were still building this stuff with the <laughs> customers for coming in. Apparently. So how is the bridge construction and possible traffic tie-ups in that component to this? I hadn't even considered some of the challenges that may pose, but I'm sure it equals waiting time. The development I mean, of patients. If you were to put a bid in, that would have to be part of your bid that there is this yeah. uh, possibility of some interruptions to access. Correct. Yeah. The other layer um, to add to this, and to be frank and honest, is the capacity of your administration at this time for the next year and a half is going to be focused solely at completing capital projects and developing and um, readying staff for the implementation of the new operational plan. It's going to be rather significant and it's one of uh, my goals for this next year is to finalize an operational plan, address a number of um, other secondary implications to that facility that need to be addressed. Um, and in turn, my staff will also be heavily involved in that decision making and their priorities are, are laid out as such. Your option two is to um, decline to bid on this particular games. Um, there are various advantages and disadvantages. Um, the obvious disadvantage is this is an opportunity to showcase a new facility, um, ready or not. It is an opportunity to showcase your community, your region. Um, disadvantages, there is a financial implication and we are attempting to move forward on fundraising efforts on other projects. So um, at this time, administration does recommend 
to decline to bid on the 2019 Alberta Senior Masters Games. So at the uh, trade show, I had a chance to talk to David on group show. I was quite excited about his possibility. Have you talked to any of the other spellers at all? No, just uh, Grimshaw was the one that gave me a call. Yeah. yeah. So they seem to think it's a great idea, but yeah. they're all set up and ready to go, right? Correct. But then why wouldn't Grimshaw take it over and be the lead something? And, and that could be an option, yeah. They could. Yeah. But it, I think still being a regional bid, if Peace River's not in, it probably wouldn't go. I think it would be a little more challenge for them, because they definitely would need the facilities. For the from the community also, well, I've got, I find it difficult to envision um, our fund fundraising needs for this new uh, rec center. Um, those fundraising versus this fundraising, to me, the priority would go to the building in town, and um, it's the same people that tend to get involved in these sorts of activities, be they volunteers or whatever. So I think it would be overload. Don't forget your medical center. And well, that's in the background there too. I, I would make a motion. Yeah. Did I make a motion? No. Uh, Colin wants to say something. Oh, I, no, I would be prepared to put a motion on the floor, but if another uh, councillor's got his hand up, that's not. I would. I think the logic is there, whether it's bridge or staff capacity issues, whether it's a dirty parking lot at the BTEC Center and demolition of the building. I, I think there's lots of reasons to say no, but there'll be lots of other masters in that game. So I would suggest that Town of Peace River decline the 2019 bid. Okay, yeah. I'm just out from uh, Councillor Solichuk there. Um, is there. Is there a time constraint on this? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, do we have to have this done in the next two weeks? Yes, we do. We have to submit our letter of intent by uh, May 31st. So we have a meeting before May 31st? I'm not, uh, personally, I'm not interested in having another meeting. Let's load it up or down. Now my comment would be just to uh, would be to forward our concerns on to our surrounding neighbors prior prior to just going ahead and declining there's, the issue. There's a motion on the table. Let's up and down. Who is in favor of, of the recommendation? All in favor? Against? Next item on the agenda is the accessioning policy revision. This one was discussed at the uh, at the uh, yeah the D and G D and G whatever you call it. Um, so I think there was a recommendation that came out of that, correct? Correct. And if the council approve an update to revise.
I attended that meeting for Councillor Sawchuck, so I would put a motion on the floor that Council approve the updated and revised the accession policy. Your Worship, uh, this is uh, an annual uh, meeting that we have for schools. Well, I couldn't find anything last year, but yeah, yeah we could do it. Okay. So um, they're just asking uh, if we would be uh, like to attend their, their meeting on uh, May 17th at 7 p.m. And the second request is if we would send them some items for their agenda if we so choose to accept this invitation. So I have a question. I attended that meeting, I think Deputy Mayor Manager did as well. One of the things we suggested that their administration should talk to our administration about long-term plans and integrating and schools going on top of municipal parks and all that kind of stuff. Did they ever, like I don't recall that being brought back to council, did they ever come back to administration to talk about anything? No. First talk. One of the other things uh, they were to get back to the town about what they thought was the optimal um, size of school and school grounds, be it 10 acres or two acres or whatever. So I would put a motion forward that uh, the mayor or, well, we sent two people last year, or um, other delegates, uh, other councillors attend the joint meeting with the Peace River School Division on eight, May 17th. All in favor? Okay, um, it, so you want me to put those two things, long-term plans on, and then also about full size school? Yeah. All right, I'll do that then. And at this point in time, I just like to draw our attention to there's an April 18th meeting that maybe some counselors would attend as they are uh, presenting another report on their centralization plan. So just going back to these two items, so one of them was so what was the first one, the long range? They wanted the long range plan, or no, we suggested that they come to us regarding long-term plans. And so the point of bringing that up again is that this this was made at the last meeting at Lloyd Garrison School and we did not actually uh, get a, uh, any kind of response. Any kind of response. Um, and in fact, we had to react to uh, rumors of a of a centralization and request a, a, a presentation time. The, and the other one was their request. What was this about green space? They um, uh, were mentioning they wanted us to first of all advocate at AUMA and wherever um, about school acreages and Rod I can't quite remember the nuance there and then they said they'd come back to us with what the optimal um, acreage was for a school and school yard is that for setting aside stuff in your development yeah. plans and yeah. town plan yeah. yeah 
And the concern is what happens now when, when there's a subdivision, we yeah. get a tiny quarter of an acre parcel. Well, that's not big enough to be any of the schools unless you get this consolidated big enough that it becomes valuable for the school. And, and I, again, I think they have property in town potentially for a school. But again, they need to at least come talk to the town. So we're thinking of, on the same line. Well, I, so it sounds like the message going back is we've done these meetings before. We've come up with some action plans and you, the school division, haven't followed through. Uh, certainly not with us and probably not with the other municipalities because we didn't hear, we didn't hear a word from the other municipalities at ADMA about setting aside green space for schools. So the next item on the agenda is a, uh, a request to proclaim uh, Rail Safety Week, and that's from April 24th to the April the 30th, 2017. Uh, uh, Autumn, you do you want to speak to this? I know that you've done some homework on this. I think did you con or somebody or was it Mr. McQuaid contacted CN about? Uh, Perhaps a public uh, public uh, signing slash proclamation. Yes, Your Worship. I talked to the folks from the Western Canadian um, Education and Public Publicity Arm of CN. Um, I have to follow up with them, but they initially were uh, very keen to partner with us on this. They were just uh, obviously they have a lot of commitments in Rail Safety Week, so they were just checking their schedule to see uh, uh, when they would be able to work with us on that and I will be following up with them shortly. Um, and Ms. Hume makes a uh, is very good, uh, makes some pretty wicked looking uh, proclamations. So we, we shit. Wicked in the in the positive sense. Wicked in the modern sense of wicked. Snowboard wicked. <laughs> yeah, snowboard wicked. Uh, uh, so uh, we'll uh, I guess we'll uh, go ahead and vote vote for this. I imagine that'll be a positive vote all the way around, and uh, we'll set up arrangements to. Uh, you need a motion for this? Yeah, we'll need a motion. I'll make the motion that the council supports the National Public Rail Safety Week and proclamation for May, April twenty fourth through thirtieth, twenty seventeen. Okay. All in favor. So we have a letter, and I think we've seen this already before, uh, from a Mr. Brown, Norman Brown Brownlee regarding the 50th anniversary of the Peace River Bridge, and uh, he would like some support. Um, I don't know if uh, Mr. Parker, you can elaborate on the nature of the support. He's just looking for uh, a bit of uh, research and providing uh, historical research and archival uh, information. Your Worship, I would put a motion on the floor to direct the uh, administration to assist the committee in providing the assistance with the historical research and archival information. And uh, as a side note, uh, I thought it was a hot item at the trade show. There was lots of people that 
uh, came by and I spoke to a couple of longtime residents, uh, Babe McElroy in particular, and uh, he watched the first three minutes of the film and identified three people. And I said, Babe, we, we need you somewhere in the process because he was pointing out names and uh, he, was, he was pretty excited to see it. So I think there's a good story here. Did you you get the Bridge Alumni Club together? <laughs> so do we usually charge for yeah. um, this kind of research and whatnot? So is that the financial? Well, and that's what I'm wondering. I'm sorry. I hadn't seen this on the agenda at all. And there is a research fee. So is he requesting to waive the fees? Because we do have a policy that says we don't waive fees. I would suggest, Just saying. I, would, I don't think he's made that request. I don't know if yeah. he's aware that there is a fee. Yes, he is. He is? Then yes. maybe you should talk to him. Well, and, and I would I think this would be very appropriate and normal part of the museum practice to assist any research request it's a very standardized yeah. request to go to the museum directly. Just yeah, but I get the impression that he, so he when he's he making this more? request and put this letter together, it was not on his company's letterhead. Yeah, that doesn't matter. We'll take individual community members, organization doesn't matter. Any of them. So it does look like he is yeah. he is probably basically saying that, you know, in partnership with the Town of Peace River, I would like to propose uh, okay. to make this a provincial thing and the yeah. province gets involved and rah, 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 and here's a yeah. new bridge and blow yeah. mm -hmm. your horn and yeah. give us some money and Oh, I guess that's the wrong sound. <laughs> wrong bridge. <laughs> okay, how about this? So we will uh, we'll adopt the, well, I'm assuming we'll adopt the recommendation. And if there's a research fee issue involved, you can, uh, you can call a special meeting. And we'll be there. I'll be sure to do so. so. But he's also in his letter asking that um, Town of Peace River employees um, are going to be helping to prepare the suitable celebration so whatever that might mean in the future which is fine again i i'm thinking his theory is he has some government presence here and they have a big public something yeah we are okay. short staffed right now so i wouldn't commit to an event per se unless we're supporting his event but this is a year this is not this year this is next year right yeah, this oh, is, is it next year? year? Okay, okay. July. July 31st, by the way. Yes. Yeah, no, it's, 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 <laughs> July, it's July 30th. It's a year, okay, but, it, but it's, it's, the rail, it's the rail bridge. It's, I would suggest we commit to some involvement, depending on details. I mean, really, we don't even know what he's asking. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think the promotion's a big commitment, but in my mind. Uh, but obviously the response from the minister will drive this thing one way or the other. So, uh, so, so you already have a motion. On yeah, and I, I, I think it's, I think, it, I think it's a, a motion to, to support Mr. Community Enthusiasm, Norm Bromley. The guy volunteers for, uh, I, I, I think this is great. I, I don't see any harm in this. So you've, you've got a motion. Um, am I hearing somebody wants to amend this motion? Okay. All in favor? 
So this is a request for decision on the fire hydrant testing and maintenance policy that was previously presented to the governance and policy meeting uh, that was uh, done uh, previous week. And uh, I don't think we've had any changes from that point in time. We did have a couple questions around uh, the policy before uh, the actual Request for decision was presented. Are there any questions outstanding? Well, we had some good comments from uh, Councillor Burr. Uh, so, Councillor Burr, do you want to reiterate? Well, I just, my concern in the, the policy as it was first put out, it didn't specify who was going to be responsible for this. So, it talked about, you know, doing this testing and that kind of stuff, but it never clearly identified who was going to be responsible for that. And it also did not identify. The, the reporting that was going to be done associated with this, like, so you, to me, you have to do that, and I don't know whether that's an assumption. Or, to me, the policy should should outline both of those things, and I see that in the packages that was presented today, we have have this report, which would obviously be for each fire hydrant, and then so that would be the director, which I think is excellent. But in terms of like who's responsible for making sure that testing gets done, is it the fire department? Is it public works? When there is issues that have to be dealt with, is that the fire department that deals with it? Is the public works that kind of stuff? That's that. Those are my concerns. Okay, Councillor, it is actually on uh, item number three. Okay, it says the director of engineering and infrastructure will be responsible for establishing a master schedule. And under number four, it should be the director of engineering and infrastructure, not maintenance. So, yeah, uh, as part of the department of annual report, we review the master schedule and associate reports as to confirm that all the work was performed as required. So, so your your comments, we did incorporate them into into this other one. So, well, for that inclusion, then I'm and there it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's on point four, it should say the director of engineering and infrastructure. So, that's the only change we'll have to make on that one. And there was another uh, question as to the one of the other existing policy, the the water main flushing hydrant testing policy that's currently out there. Uh, but that policy pertains strictly to the water main flushing program and will remain in place. Uh, is this the one that's, it looks like it was crafted in the 1970s? Oh, it's 1993. So why wouldn't we just update that one? To bring it up to and we, we could update that as a, a separate policy and bring that forward for decision as well. Definitely, all these policies. Uh, Councilor Burr makes a good point. Person, person, or persons that are accountable should be listed in them, and what documentation is to be maintained, and where the documentation is to be maintained needs to be outlined in all these policies. Okay. Um, so, Councilor Burr, do you want to make any questions? 
move that we ex adopt the policy as presented, except amend uh, under the procedure to point four that it's the director of engineering and infrastructure, and then we adopt the policy as otherwise as presented. So approve. They make a move to approve the implementation of the fire hydrant testing and maintenance policy uh, with the with an amendment that strikes it on item under uh, general item number four that uh, the director of engineering and maintenance be struck and replaced by a director of engineering and infrastructure. Okay. All in favor? Okay. Um, we, we, that should deal with all the new business items that were listed. Uh, that takes us to reports. So there's another check registry. This one for uh, March the 27th, 2017. Are there any questions regarding that one? Accept the motion to ex to uh, accept the uh, check registry for information. Councillor Nina, all in favor? That takes us to information. Uh, there's uh, the municipal planning commission commission minutes. Um, there's a new record set in terms of time length on this on this particular set of minutes. I think this took longer than long off this one. Okay, very good. Yeah, where's Jason? That's good. <laughs> oh, thank you. You were really efficient. I was. <laughs> you weren't even there. <laughs> hey, very good. Uh, letter from Canadian local government managers to mayors. Is there anything that needs to be highlighted? Well, congratulations, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. Congratulations to Chris. Can you feel about the weather now? Yeah. Can you see my head swell? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what, what's, can you just give us a little synopsis as to uh, what is this? Well, uh, this is um, the official designation that uh, local government managers uh, uh, receive. Um, so there's there's a there's a few but not dozens of uh, like hundreds and hundreds of us. Um, what we have to do is we have to take a rigorous training program. We have to take the NACPA program, and it's the NACPA one and NACPA two. Uh, and then you have to work in the industry for a minimum of five years as a local government manager. And then the third thing you have to have is a couple of uh, managers that are currently uh, uh, CLGMs uh, qualified. Uh, or designated um, to actually sponsor you into the organization. Um, and uh, there's a very strict set of rules and guidelines that we have to follow um, uh, to uh, obtain and keep our CLGM. So, it's, uh, so are you saying that time of Beaver Lodge came from this? Or? No, actually, it was uh, <laughs> most of the training came from the town of Norman Wells. Very good. Okay. 
So double congratulations that you did it on somebody else's tab. <laughs> so uh, more congratulations from uh, from uh, from Colin. Uh, was there an expectation that somebody go with you on May the 18th? Well, uh, if there's a, yes, there would be. You know, uh, actually, if you want to come or someone wants to come, that'd be nice. Uh, they always like looking for uh, local representation, but it's. Uh, um, I'm definitely going. So, travel safe and congratulations. Thank you. So, is this going to be your excuse to bow out from the meeting in Boyd Harrison <laughs> School in Berwick? I, I'm actually in Saskatoon that week, so I won't be available. Very good. So, uh, who sits on the Peace Library board? I am. Do you want to speak to this one? The minutes um, on March 25th. Yeah. Well, I'll just draw your attention to the second last uh, paragraph of column one. Uh, just to note that the use of ebooks has gone up significantly, and the same thing with um, movies and um, music that's being downloaded, as well as geneal genealogy. It's very hot topics. This or the what is it? The one. Ancestry.com that you, you go into the library, it's free to use within the library. So, uh, did, did the Peace Library system uh, give us an honor, uh, give us some press about our uh, free library memberships for Canada 150? Um, I mentioned that in the round table that happens at the end of each of these executive meetings. And apparently that's on the upswing, the free membership idea in the total province of Alberta. The other one, since you're giving me a moment, is that the uh, government's uh, recent budget has uh, apparently allocated some funding to um, help the maintenance and renovations of the regional library buildings. So if you're a member at AUMA and maybe at AAMDC, um, there were motions put forward for the um, government to pay for more of those or something, and apparently they did. The, the regional libraries just don't know quite how the dollars are being divvied up. So our regional library is looking forward to some renovations uh, roof-wise, and maybe that will help that cause. Item four is a letter from Service Alberta and the Minister of Service Alberta, Stephanie McLean, uh, is reaching out to us. Uh, I don't know if you want to respond back to her, Mr. Parker, and say tell her that we've already got fiber optic to uh, virtually every home in Peace River and have no need for supernet. Well, actually, I think though. Doesn't SuperNet still go to schools and libraries and such? So, and part of the issue is uh, who owns it, and then the ownership is changing, so everybody gets to pay for the ongoing maintenance then, depending on how these new contracts work. So libraries, provincial buildings, and schools. Well, I'm sure if they cut it off our library, we can convince Telus to put it in for nothing. Okay. And we'll let the school boards worry about the schools. At least that's what they tell us that we should be doing. <coughs> um, 
letter dated from uh, March 28th from Knights of Columbus. Uh, they, they have a maritime supper. Is there a specific request on this item? Or is this just notification? Probably for ticket sales, but I think it, I think they might have a yeah they have a silent live and silent auction. So um, I don't know. We haven't done this for a while. I don't know if we still have framed town of Peach River prints. Previously, we donated those in the past to silent auction items. Yeah, that's a good idea. Do we have any of those? Because I don't know who wants that. Okay. So I was just going to put a motion on the table for this to donate a framed photo of the town of Peach River to the silent op or yeah silent auction. All in favor of? I might have to buy myself a ticket so I can bid on that. So the D.A. Thomas uh, picture is always a big seller. A uh, letter from the town of Gibbons. They're inviting us on a tour. Bless you. I happened to run into um, this fellow at the Northern Mares and Reeves, so he was um, really wanting people to come to Gibbons and explore the industrial uh, area around there. Well, I see he's only got 40 spots and they're probably taken up already, so we'll probably just accept this one for information. Grand Prairie College, convocation. Uh, I'm sure we're just on a standard mailing list for these meetings. But it does ask us to RSVP, so maybe we should say yes or no officially. Ms. McQuaid will be on that. McQuaid on rice. Fifth Armstrong construction invitation to the 50th anniversary. They're almost as old, half, half the age of the Tower of the River. So, uh, still picking this up. So, maybe we should send a letter of congratulations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll send a letter of congratulations. Can you uh, develop a, one for us? Nice, fancy one, Ms. you? Yes. This is an event that I would actually like to uh, attend if possible. Well, I think we should. You can attend. I, I don't. I think we need to put a meeting on just people attending. To be on my dime. Yeah. 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 That'd be great. Yeah. <clears throat> Did we do a motion for the letter? I'll move that we uh, write a letter of congratulations to Armstrong Construction on their 50th anniversary of business. Okay, all in favor? Should we mention it there that we appreciate Mark Armstrong's contribution to the town council in that? Something about community involvement. Yeah. Uh, good. So uh, we 
Why, why don't we just make one omnibus motion to accept items 10.1 through 10.8 more information? Well, we actually made a couple motions here, didn't we? We made one on the uh, we made one on the Knights of Columbus. We made one on Armstrong Construction, and uh, that's it, right? So if you could take the other ones. Uh, no, the bridge was in a previous, it was under new business. Oh, okay. So you want to do that? I'll make that motion in worship shape that the uh, council accept the uh, information item 10, 1 through 5, and 7 for information. So what did you say? 1 through, one through 5? Should be 1 through or 1 four. through 4, 6 and 7, sorry. Yeah, thank you. And item 6 and 7. More information. All in favor? Uh, any notices of motion, uh, Mr. Parker? There are not any worship. I'm not seeing anyone in the gallery, so I assume that there are no comments from the public. We heard. <coughs> the press is left, so I will allow. Uh, <coughs> Ms. you to uh, step up and uh, just make some comments regarding what she feels are the key communications. Um, I've only got the three tonight for the three presentations. Uh, the approval of the daycare subsidy, the RCMP enforcement goals, and the CAP presentation. If council has any other suggestions or things they'd like to put forward, I'm more than happy to add that. How about the railway? How about the railway weaker stuff? Yes. That one had been on my maybe. Okay. And uh, I think the uh, RCOs uh, receiving that yep. recognition, I think that's significant. We should recognize that. I think not every municipality has someone with that, that those qualifications. So I think it's important to recognize that. Added. Also, the uh, <clears throat> the collaboration agreements. I mean that potentially got big impacts in our future budget is this something to celebrate I mean this is this is step one uh, should we let the residents know that we are successful and uh, this is going to lead to better things are they going to read it I I don't know if they're going to read it any more than they're going to read the announcement about Chris Parker and, <laughs> and, uh, it's all how you sell things how, how are we going to sell the MSI? I just I just see people's eyes glazing over. The MSI, not so much. The collaboration. It, 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 it wasn't the MSI. It was the collaboration stuff where we're the, the plan is to work with our neighbors. Well, just a comment on that. Uh, when I attended the uh, the trade fair, I had uh, residents from other municipalities approach me about uh, the good work that the Town of Peace River is doing with uh, with our regional neighbors. So the collaboration grants for last meetings or two meetings, but like was there wasn't one. But these were all MSI, weren't they? No, oh, two oh, the last. The, the, oh, the the last you're you're correct. Your worship in that they were on a couple weeks ago, and we didn't get through them at times. So they're back on this agenda. I just okay. I think somebody had mentioned a chart to catch them all up. So I'm also going to want that chart, and then. I think that'd be a great way to educate people, catch up the local media as well on this. A couple of them have gone into the void. Um, 
for those counselors that were at the trade show, you know, we were uh, collecting some feedback from the community. This is the start of those sort of um, neighborhood. Hey, before you get on that, how are you going to spend the daycare? The daycare? Yeah. Well, I, we're pleased that after our $250,000 investment in the reconstruction of the daycare that the province has seen fit to include in its pilot project. We should, we should lay up uh, the money spent on it I've got a paragraph about the Jeanette speaking about the um, expansion and the available spots and then the second paragraph reads in 2015 Peace River Town Council contributed 250,000 towards the reconstruction of the daycare this helped them to rebuild following a 2014 fire as a bigger facility as a result the town and council were delighted with the inclusion of sugar plum tree daycare in the province's expanded pilot project and the investment in child care in Peace River. We should talk about how... I, I think, yeah, you got to mention the municipalities involved in that. Fair enough. It was joint capital. That's I true. We, I think the key item is how, my, how many spots were, it was uh, expanded by. So if it went from 30 to 60 or whatever it was, whatever it was, uh, play that out spots. and... Uh, yeah. It's got nine rooms. Are you talking the original daycare to the new daycare, or yeah. are you talking about the daycare numbers now to what they will be? No, the daycare numbers before... Before the fire. Oh, okay. oh before the announcement. Well, before the... The original daycare. The, the, before the fire. Oh, okay. And okay. that, and this talk about the economic implications, and that is cer a certified, uh, certified daycare. Yeah. Accredited. Thank you. Accredited daycare. Sorry. And, and the difference yeah, between accredited and certified? Uh, a certified is not um, a category that the province uses for daycare. I think accredited has something to do with the um, licensing. licensing and the ability to uh, have subsidized and subsidies for parents a little bit too. That's there. a portion of it, but accreditation yeah. means that you're offering a higher level of quality of child care that's being licensed and reviewed. Monitored. But yeah, monitored is probably a really good word. So where is Grimshaw's daycare at? Do they have one? I in the yeah, outside. And, yeah. Well, isn't it is it also accredited or I don't know if it is or not. I, I'm not sure it is in terms of its numbers, but the manager there could meet the accreditation <laughs> Did they get the get a twenty five dollar? Fairview did. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to set up a antagonistic situation, <laughs> but I. We, we need to. It's it's obviously an industry for us, and hopefully a growing industry. Well, people keep having kids. <clears throat> Um, the other thing is uh, town citizens so far appear to be somewhat satisfied with uh, Town of Peace River services on the whole. So quick sampling through the trade show weekend, we had 55 responses um, that weren't spoiled ballots. And that broke down, uh, three of them were very dissatisfied, uh, 11 were somewhat dissatisfied, four were indifferent or had no opinion. Uh, 23 were somewhat satisfied and six were satisfied. So that put us at about 29 in the satisfied category, four in the undecided and 14 in the dissatisfied category. The responses, the actual written responses were pretty much targeting our roads. There's a concern about the quality of the roads, sidewalks, potholes, that kind of thing. 
We had one, I think, about the secondary surface. Uh, a couple of comments about paths, trails, and connecting them, finishing our trails plan. But on the whole, it was infrastructure. And we will continue that. We've got the survey down below, um, downstairs. There will be a plan coming probably informally to council just about how we're going to advertise the uh, the public dates. And then we'll also be mailing out the survey to residents in town at the end of the month with utility bills. So, uh, so that would take us to main camera. There's four items there. Uh, are you thinking we'll need communication support on any of those four items? We'll take a uh, five minute recess and then come back in town. Okay.